This is Application Paranoia, Episode 3. Welcome again to Application Paranoia, our podcast about application security, DevSecOps, and AppScan. I'm Colin, and with me as our regular panel is Rob and Chris. This week's episode, we're going to focus on Interactive Application Security Testing, or IAST. A great majority of our episode will be taken up by that. So we've got lots to cover, and we have a very exciting interview with Gal from our development team who helped put together our latest offering. So Rob, how are you doing? What's new with you? Uh, we're doing great, man. You know, just enjoying the fact that we're in spring now, and so it's uh, weather's turned, so that's awesome. Pretty amazing here. You know, the weird, the weird thing here is that it's, you know, I live in Ireland where it rains a lot, and I've never remembered such a dry period that we've had where the sun is out shining, and everyone, of course, is locked in their houses and they can't go outside. So, I, I think the minute that they announce that we can go outside, I guarantee it's going to start raining again. <laughs> Just kind of weird. Um, but yeah, so, so we're having wonderful weather and we can enjoy it. You know? And Chris, Chris, how are you doing? What's happening where you are? Oh, it went great. We're finally getting off groundation. It's wonderful. <laughs> Can't wait to go back to, you know, a restaurant and sit down and hopefully not catch anything. Uh, but fun fact about New Hampshire, <laughs> it turns out beer is important to us. Very important. We have the eight most beers, uh, breweries per capita. But why haven't you invited me then? (laughs) Yeah, I know. You should come. Tons of them. We have them right down the road, literally five minutes from my house. I have a choice of three different breweries. It's amazing. Uh, We'll definitely have to to fly in in, um, when we can fly and go and do one of these from Manch, Vegas. We're working hard. I've been looking online. Um, I know there was looking weird things, but I found this thing called um, Mischief. Have you ever come across that, Chris? M-S-C-H-F. No. And basically, I can't really work it out. I've been sort of following it for a few weeks. I was t- telling um, Rob about it. But basically, it seems to be a marketing ploy. I'm really not sure, but they, they're doing lots of different things. They do like a drop. They put a website up, and then the website then comes down again very quickly. And they've done some really crazy things, like they had Times Newer Roman, where they literally had created a new font that is just a little bit wider than normal Times Roman. And the idea, the, the idea being that if you were doing your thesis or something, you could make it look like you have more words. <laughs> Double space. Oh, I only need 50 words instead of 100 now. They had, they had one also called Zuckwatch, you know, and you go in and it had like a, a very old version of Facebook and, and just a password on it. And the idea was to try and guess the password. And there's, there's a whole Reddit site about trying to guess what the password is and whether you could get in or not. And the one I was showing Rob was the, the Damien Hurst one where they had basically they got one of Damien Hurst paintings which have all dots on it and they cut up all the dots and they're selling the dots individually so that everyone can have a piece. <laughs> Here's your dot. You're welcome. Who doesn't want that? Right? Yes. That's on my bucket list. Yes. Well, here, I got a fun fact for you guys that, that I came across this week that kind of surprised me. But thought, uh, and, and not sure how deeply I want to think about this, but according to Uberfax, um, in any glass of water that you drink, 
you are practically guaranteed to find at least one molecule that Cleopatra herself once drank. So think about uh, the water cycle. That's a very uh, interesting. Does that, does that make them a little bit Cleopatra? No, it's beautiful. Exactly. Exactly. It's not working. I need more water. Yes. That yes. probably works for every every leader in the past. I would imagine. I, I would think so. Right? <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's a little interesting trying to figure out how that one works. But. Um... <laughs> So following on from that, I mean, we're, we're going to be talking a lot in this session about IAST, and we're going to talk to Gal later on. I'm looking forward to interviewing him. And it's kind of funny. I, I did a I did a search of acronyms for what IAST stood for. There's some very interesting sort of different acronyms for it, like Ideal Absorbed Solution Theory, the Institute of Applied Science and Technology, um, International Association of Strategic Thought. All of those things, but not really. Um, what we're really talking about is interactive application security testing. That and makes more sense. It yeah. does make it does make more sense. And and funny enough, we're not new to this game. I dug up the original post from February third, two thousand and twelve, where IAST was released as part of our Glassbox offering with AppScan Standard. And we've had a long history of of working with this, and there were. There's definitely been some issues with why it would work and why it didn't work. Um, some of the, the challenges we had with Glassbox were really, at the time, were related to um, having to install an agent and how difficult it was to install an agent. So I'm, I'm looking forward to finding out whether that's that's improved and and how, how we can sort of improve upon what was actually a very good solution. Um, Glassbox testing, when when we were running with it, actually found a lot better findings and better quality findings than, than we could with normal sort of DAS scanning. And Rob, you and I have talked about this in the past around QA testing and functional testing. The, the opportunity, I guess, to get into different sort of parts of the life cycle, which have been challenging. Getting uh, people who are running functional tests to actually do security. I, I don't know about you, but I often find that it's quite challenging to get, you know, a, a real good hold on how to sort of provide the right solutions in that in that space. Yeah, no, I, would, I would agree with you. And as companies start thinking about security as more of an aspect of quality, and start connecting those together, I think this is going to be more important. And I'm, I'm excited about it because it, it feels like IAST is a way to make um, security testing a little bit more natural for what QA teams are doing because of, of the intersections with functional testing. So yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing about that. And what about, what about you, Chris? What, what do you think the, the big news around IAST is from your perspective? Uh, for me, I think it plugs a gap between two very different scanning technologies. It finds things that neither of them can really find. It, it goes after you know, some of the hidden nooks and crannies that you might not be able to get with the traditional scanning technologies. For, for AppScan News, Chris, is there, is there anything you can tell us about um, any of the new things that came out on the May 10th release? Yeah. So uh, we have a few enhancements that we put out there. You can rename scans, which is beneficial if you made a mistake and called it, you know, 
meh instead of blah or something like that. Uh, some wonderful reports where we're adding in um, custom finding advisories, which can be very beneficial. It tells you a little bit more about why we produced or presented the finding to you so that you can do the right thing to either fix it or confirm that it is not, in fact, impacting your environment. And also in AppScan News, just to finish off this, this segment, we should also mention our AppScan Tuesdays Live. So these are our YouTube 15-minute sessions of live shows telling us about different things from AppScan. And, and this week, they're going to be talking with Matt Murphy, who we spoke to on our, our show last time. So, and he's going to be giving a little bit more insight into Code Sweep if anyone's still interested in finding out more about that. So that's every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern time, and it's for 15 minutes. This week, it is my pleasure to introduce to, to you folks a colleague from Israel who helped us put together a wonderful solution we're going to talk about today, uh, Gal Benier. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing well. So tell us, what is this IAST and what is it all about? Well, IAST is an interesting uh, piece of technology. What we do today is uh, called SAS and it's called DAST. And uh, generally when you look at, uh, at IAST, it lives in the same area as these technologies, but it's a little different. It's uh, a lot more interesting. You have DAST, and uh, as you know, DAST is something that attacks a website, it uh, sends a, a malicious uh, request, and sees what it can uh, get away with, right? The website is a uh, black box to it. It doesn't see what happens inside, but it tries to attack it. And SAST is something a little different. It sees the source code, right? And it doesn't see a running web server. It doesn't attack it directly. It looks at the source code, it scans it, it tries to make sense out of it, and it provides uh, the output of what it sees as um, vulnerabilities within the website. Well, IAST is something that lives in between those two concepts. So unlike DAST, where that attacks the web server for externally, IAST lives inside the web server. It runs with the web server itself, and it, it has no direct effect on the web server except for to monitor it and uh, sort of uh, see all of the events that are going on. So if you look at it in a way where DAST, it sends a request to the website, but it doesn't know what happened inside the server. Uh, so it can tell you, okay, this is what I found. Uh, and, and you know that whatever DAST finds, it, it, you're pretty sure that, you know, that's a real vulnerability. But, um, but it doesn't know whether a vulnerability occurred internally. Also, it can't tell you uh, for any specific vulnerability what the, source of, uh, what the source code is for that uh, vulnerability where it actually occurs. SAST is uh, sort of the other way around, right? It looks at the source code, it tells you exactly where the issue is, but it can't provide a flow. It can't say, okay, if uh, this is what, how you attack this specific vulnerability and, uh, and get to it. So I asked, as I said, lives in between those two. It can provide both of those uh, uh, pieces of information. So it can tell you, look, this is the source code where a vulnerability actually occurred, and this is how we got to that vulnerability. So you can see the flow of information from what we call the source to the sync, from the input that the user 
enters all the way uh, to the actual uh, vulnerability, the writing to the database or XSS or whatnot. And it has a lot of uh, um, interesting capabilities. Even over DAST, for example, uh, DAST attacks uh, the, the website. For IAST, we don't need to attack the, web, the website. We, we can, even if you send non-malicious input, uh, we can tell whether, had you sent a malicious input, uh, a vulnerability would have occurred. So, so Gal, I know that our solution that we've just launched is a passive solution. Can you maybe explain what the difference between a passive and non-passive IAST would be? Passive IAST is active IAST with uh, COVID-19, but it, it didn't ah, want to... Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> it's infected. Ah. IAST is yeah. contagious, like, you know. <laughs> it's contagious. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Uh, so um, this is actually very important to understand the distinction between uh, active IAST and passive IAST. So uh, what we uh, do today is called the passive IAST. And generally, this means that, well, maybe the best way to look at it is to look at it from, again, from uh, the point of view of SAST and DAST. Uh, these technologies, when they uh, do their thing, when they, they try to find vulnerabilities, they have a beginning and an end. So you say, okay, here's my website, go scan it. Or here's my source code, go scan it. That means they're active. They're actively going and looking for uh, the uh, uh, vulnerabilities. For IAST, uh, passive IAST, it's different. When we deploy ourselves within a web server environment, we don't actually do anything. We're more uh, sort of like a sensor, perhaps, than a scanner, uh, in the sense that we exist within the web server, but we don't attack it in any way, shape, or form. Uh, our technology is meant to be used in, in many situations, but also within the CI/CD uh, environment where you run your system tests, for example, and uh, we live within the web server. We report the, uh, when your uh, system tests are done what our discoveries were. So we don't generate any uh, uh, attack attempts. We simply report on any such attempts that could have occurred. For active IAST, you would actually have something actively trying to attack the uh, web server while uh, uh, the IAST uh, works inside and tries to, uh, to report on that. And there are several variations on this theme, but that's the general idea. Hey, Gal, that is great. Um, I'm wondering, though, we talked a little bit about Kind of SAST and DAST in, in helping to define IAS, but what would you say to folks who are thinking, hey, I've already got SAST and DAST, why would I need IAS? You know, that's a great question, but when you look at uh, SAST and DAST, uh, you know, SAST doesn't replace DAST and DAST doesn't replace SAST. Uh, they complement each other, and IAS is the same exact thing. It complements the SAST and DAST technologies. Uh, for DAST, there's this concept where when DAST uh, tells you that an attack succeeded, you can be pretty sure that it did succeed, but it doesn't know everything that goes on inside the server, as I've said. Uh, it doesn't know whether, uh, had it attacked the web server in some little bit of different way, 
then uh, it would have succeeded. So that's one thing that, um, that uh, IS does uh, to complement uh, uh, DEST. Now, uh, for SAST, SAST gives you a lot of, uh, you, it looks at a website and it gives you all the possible variations and flows. It gives you a lot of information about your source code that, uh, that sees source code in whole. Uh, from A to Z of your source code. IS doesn't see the entire source code, but uh, it can give you the specific source code that created the flow of vulnerabilities. Therefore, using IS, SAST, and DAST together gives you a holistic view of your application from pure source to a black box, black box mode, seeing it from the outside, to what's going on in between those two and how those two connect. No, oh, that's, that's amazing. Uh, tell me, um, what kind of performance impact does IS have? Uh, uh, we regularly test for performance uh, with our IS solution. It is very important for us to make sure that it uh, outperforms anything else that we know is out there. And currently, we believe we take uh, under 5% uh, performance uh, overhead. Wow. So to plug the gap, it's a five percent hit. That's not bad. Uh, yes, it's it's not bad at all, and we're always working to improve it. At the end of the day, IS does a lot of work inside the server. It's uh, and it's important for it to do all of that work. And it's also important that the user uh, doesn't feel IS running internally. So competing uh, competing needs, but we managed to find a sweet spot. Yes, absolutely. I think we're using. Um, top-of-the-line technology where we have partnered with uh, one of the world's leading Java experts in order to get our performance as optimized as we possibly can. So, Gal, we, we, we spoke earlier how we had Glassbox testing from way back um, in AppScanda 8.5, and some of the challenges with that were obviously the, the setup and the configuration. Can you maybe speak a little bit about what you've done to improve on that to make that experience a bit better for this this new version? Uh, actually, that's it's a very interesting topic because um, well, when we approach this new IS uh, technology that we were going to build, uh, we knew about uh, the glass box attempt and the uh, issues that customers had uh, deploying IS and. One of the main uh, drivers of the initial um, uh, release was to make sure that we provide a way to deploy the system in uh, completely, not just painless to the user, but just easy and simple to use and, and, and uh, they can do it without uh, uh, significantly altering their uh, current work uh, environment or workflow. And so what we did is uh, we created uh, a technology that allows us to deploy a Java agent, which is what IS really is, deploy a Java agent into a web server environment completely seamlessly. So in the past, uh, what you had to do in order to deploy a Java agent is to go to your scripts and start fiddling with your scripts and change them so that your web server runs in a specific way with a specific Java agent. You had to give it flags and, and get it to get it all up and running. With the, this new capability, uh, what we do is we 
all, all we need to do is deploy our servlet. We provide a servlet, not a Java agent. And all you need to do is deploy this extra servlet on your uh, web server. Now, you already know how to deploy a web servlet. That's, that's what you're doing. That's what you're testing right now anyway. You just add our web servlet there and we automatically deploy, attach ourselves to the environment and start reporting. And we also provide the original method as well with some um, additional ease of use capabilities so that even if you do want to do it using Java Agent, this is important because some customers may want to do that specifically, then uh, you can do that as well. So Gal, I'm wondering, um, where would you say are the best places in that kind of CI continuous delivery pipeline for IaaS to be used most effectively? In general, you, uh, you, you should deploy, I would say, I ask anywhere you can in that uh, in that pipeline, but generally speaking, because and specifically because we uh, developed it so that it won't uh, affect your overall performance, then you uh, you should deploy it um, whenever you're doing your uh, general system testing at the beginning of that cycle, at the end of that cycle. Wherever you can, uh, if you're running DAST, then run it with DAST. If you're running your internal system tests, then run it with your internal system tests. Um, whenever you have the opportunity to just deploy it and let it run, then deploy it and let it run. It will only um, be to your benefit. I'm curious, how does it know what to look for? Like, what is it using to determine vulnerabilities or, you know, is it comparing against kind of databases somewhere or... Like, how's it determining things? The way it determines is uh, uh, generally by following a concept that um, vulnerabilities come from the user and they uh, arrive at some uh, point that uh, takes action. Some, we call it a source and a sync. What we do is we are able, because we're living inside the server, we're able to track all of the information coming from the user and how it is used not just how it is used, how it could be used. Let's take a very simple example, right? You get a parameter from, uh, uh, from an input from the user, and then you go and you write that parameter to the database, as is, without having checked it in any way, shape, or form. That uh, uh, sort of vulnerability is called SQL injection, and what we do is simply track it. We take a look at the user input when it comes in, and as the SQL query that's being created uh, goes through the general flow of the code, we, we track the user input. Even as it uh, uh, may change, uh, you can add to it, uh, right, uh, replace uh, parts of it, and so on and so forth. And then when it actually reaches a point where it's uh, written to database, this is, of course, one example of many, then we know that a vulnerability has occurred, even if the original input was not uh, malicious in any way, shape, or form. We can say, had it been malicious, it would have reached the database. That's excellent. So, so to, just to finish this, this up, and can you maybe let us know what, what maybe we can expect from future releases for maybe customers that are interested in on-prem and .NET and maybe a little bit about the requirements that, that are needed for the current version. Yes, of course. So um, 
today we, uh, as I said, we've uh, released uh, the Java version. That's uh, the first version out of uh, what's going to be many versions coming down the line. Uh, and we also released it on uh, ASOC. So right now it's a um, so-called cloud solution. It communicates with ASOC and reports to it. We're, we're planning in the short term to add IS to uh, AppScan Enterprise and so allow it to run on-prem as well. So that's uh, regarding the environment. Um, regarding the, the various languages, we're looking at several and we're already uh, in, uh, in development. So we, our next version will be .NET. Uh, again, it's uh, in the short term. And uh, after that, we will check uh, various other languages. There are uh, Node and, uh, and a few more that are just down the line. Now that's that's excellent. Um, you know, it's it's really good to get a bit of insight from you know the people that are working very closely with this. And I, I know I I learn a lot when I you know talk to people like yourself. So look, thank you for thank you for joining us. And you know, thank and, you for having me. Yeah, no problem. And and Chris, Chris and Rob, also great having you here as always. And um, thanks for listening. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Pleasure. It's awesome.